From Bainbridge Island to the villages. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America. Buckeye to Abbotsford. Time out, baby, yeah! St. George to Rochester and all points in between. If you've heard of pickleball or you already play it, then you know. This is the Pickleball Show. This is Prem Carno, author of Smart Pickleball. And here's the host of The Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. From the PBX Club Studios in Asheville, North Carolina, it's The Pickleball Show. I am your host, Chris. I just keep tweaking my serve until it either goes into the net or goes out of bounds. Allen, joined today by Mark Rennison of Third Shot Sports in Collingwood, Ontario, Canada. Hey, Mark. Hello, Chris. And our special guest, Matt Staub in Scottsdale, Arizona. We're continuing our conversation, and we want to talk about some things to make you a better player. And when I say make you a better player, of course, I mean make me a better player. We touched on this the previous episode, the concept of split-stepping. And I know in that uh, the famous third shot video that Matt, you and your, your dad, Brian Staub, did, uh, you guys demonstrate the split-step there. It's something that I, I know is the right way to play and i swear i'm going to do it the very next point but the point that i'm playing in right now i just want to get up to the line and i just want to go ahead and get there and i want to you know usually do it by hitting on the run and then after this one time i can do it the right way from this point forward and that point never comes what's the key to split stepping is there a secret is there something that i can do to uh, i guess finally walk the walk instead of just talking the talk well, it's funny because I was having John Ludwig uh, from Your Neck of the Woods was over here. Oh, yeah. I know John from Leland, North Carolina, part of the Leland Pickleball crew. Exactly. And we were talking about not necessarily how to, but when, when your partner's hitting a third ball and you are going to the net. This is a problem for a lot of people that don't know exactly. And when I was teaching, it was always, you know, oh, well, you'll get a feel for it. You know, once you've seen enough third, but your partner hit enough third balls, you'll kind of feel your way in and know when you need to stop this, that, and the other. And when I was telling him, it finally hit me what I actually do. And first thing first, so when your partner's in a third ball, you have to look at them. There's two parts to it. Right off the bat, you'll see off their paddle the trajectory of the ball. And so I think right off the bat, you should know whether or not you can get two or three steps to almost maybe a little less than no man's land. Mm -hmm. And so right off the paddle, you'll say, okay, I can take two steps or I'm going to camp out right here because it's not good enough. After it's in the air a little bit, that's when I start looking at my opponents. Are they dropping their paddles? Are the paddle heads going below their wrist? Are the paddles going below the net? The further the paddles go below the net, the more steps it buys you in. And as you get to that point, you'll be able to to read them, read your opponents a lot better as to how many steps it's going to get you through no man's land. And a lot of these people, when your partner has hit a good enough third ball and you see them, okay, they're going to let this ball bounce, that's when you can almost skip the split step. And if you watch a Rob Elliott, you watch a Scott Moore, you watch a Wes, Kyle, you know, all these guys, they are quick enough to where as soon as they see the ball is going to bounce, they're just going to completely skip the split step, run in there, and look for blood, really. So even if you hit a good dink, they're going to be able to recover and get back to it. So I think it's a couple pieces when you're trying to work your way in. That's interesting. I've never heard the second piece of that. I've always just heard, you know, evaluate the ball as it comes off of either your paddle or your partner's paddle. But I've never heard that second element where you read your opponents too in their paddle position. So you're using both of those to determine how far you should go in. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I know Mark is good with the videos, and it would be interesting to see if, if you had a, a compilation of videos as to how far and how fast people are moving in as the opponent is dropping their paddles below the net or they're seeing the ball drop, kind of a two-piece thing, because I didn't really notice it until I was talking to John that that's actually what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm reading the ball off the bat, but then I'm looking at, I'm almost watching the ball and the opponents at the same time, mm -hmm. and it's more up to them how far I'm moving in than it is that I'm watching the ball. Yeah, it's, it's funny than that. So one of, the, one of the videos I made that was sort of most widely watched actually was you, Matt, playing with Christine McGrath. The topic was how to make the decision after the third shot is hit, whether to go into the net or to stay back, right? And the decision-making based on the quality of that third shot. <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned like the elements that will be taken into consideration in order to do that. I think you're right. I mean, first of all, when you play with a great partner... definitely that, helps to be a little more confident it definitely helps, in there. Because <laughs> you can basically bank on the fact that they're probably going to hit. When they try to hit a third shot drop, they're probably going to make it, right? So if I was playing with Matt, yeah, okay, I'd probably like watch to see if he hit a good one, but I'd bet that nine times out of ten, he is, right? And so I can start to get a bit of a head start. But you're right, when you don't have that confidence, right, or it's a new partner or whatever, you're right, you're trying to get as many sort of feedback cues as you can. And so the trajectory is one of them, the sound off the path can be another that's going to influence the speed or tell you about the, the speed at which the ball was hit. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right, that third factor is going to be what are the guys on the other side doing? And if they're setting the paddle up high, well, that's telling me that at least they think that they're going to be able to smash it, so I better stay back and defend. So, um, well, that's great. We're, we're uh, planning to make a whole bunch of videos at US Open, so we'll see if we can make that special I, I, one for you, Matt. I have seen that video. It's a great video. I really liked how you put it all together. I, all your videos are good, but um, and specifically, as I'm looking, as the ball hits net level, the moment it starts going below the net, whether it's centimeters, inches, this, that, the other, the angle is that they have to hit up on the ball is changing. So you're becoming more and more protected as you come in through no man's land. And, and with these new paddles, as soon as that ball is even a teeny bit below the net, you can sit on that angle and you can rip winners almost from no man's land. And you don't have to get all the way in. You can you can get three quarters of the way knowing that they have to hit up, up on the ball. Now, they still might hit it pretty hard, but you're in a position where you're far enough back that you're not going to be surprised. And with these new paddles, you can just crush them. So you can play it safe even though they're going to take it out of the air, really. It's sort of that, like, that intermediate step, right, where in between the baseline and the net. Right, yeah. I mean, you're definitely in, in no man's land, and but the thing is you can still attack and do what you want from there. The other thing, too, there's a fourth element as well that sometimes uh, affects my ability to get up to the line, and that's when I hit just a beautiful, perfect third shot. I really like to take a second or two just to stand there and admire the shot. <laughs> you ever do that? You know, well, like, so, so, Chris, if you videotape yourself playing, you'll never have to work. You can go back. You can watch it again and again. You can put it in slow motion. <laughs> but nothing beats live when it's just floating over and you're like, man, that was so pretty. I just want to stand here for a second and just soak it in. And then, whoops, oh, it's coming back at me. Now, we're talking with Matt Staub, also uh, Mark Renison of Third Shot Sports. If you have a question for either of these gentlemen, go ahead and type it into the question box here or raise your hand and I'll be able to call on you. And uh, let's see, Mark Dion has a question here. Do you need to move up as a team or make your own decision on when to move up? I think ideally you're at the same time. 
But I, I know for a fact if you watch some of the videos that I'm in with either Daniel or Wes or Aspen, any of these guys, they might be a little more aggressively moving up than I am just because I feel like I'm good enough at shore hopping, at, at blocking, at working my way to the net that I don't feel the need to risk it getting all the way there in one shot. I feel like I can do it effectively regardless. But to answer the question, I think ideally, yes, you should be queuing on each other and you should be going at the same time. Because if you're, if you're up and your partner is back, number one, you've got that big hole now in the middle. Number two, your partner that's back is probably going to get all the balls hit to them because they want to keep them back. Yeah, I think um, I'm in agreement that as much as possible, you sort of move as a team. Um, one of the things that becomes important then is how you communicate with your teammate. So we talked a second ago about, you know, being able to sort of assess for yourself, was it a good one or not? It is likely that the person hitting the ball is going to have a better sense of whether it was a quality third shot drop or not. And so um, what I often see with some of the best players is that that person who makes that third shot then gives a cue to their partner as to whether it was a good one or not. So uh, one example might be, uh, I hit the third shot, I'm playing with Matt, I hit the third shot drop, and it's, I feel that it's that good one. Right? We talked about feel. I feel it was a good one. I might just say, as soon as I feel that, yep. And Matt knows then that I'm basically telling him, yeah, it was a good one. We can now progress towards the net safely. That video I talked about a second ago uh, with him and McGrath, there was this one moment, it was like, I was very happy to catch it on tape, where she hit the third shot drop, and almost immediately after she hit it, she says to him, heads up. And he knows, like, you know, it's not planned, what's that going to mean? He knows what that means. He knows that that means, uh-oh, I hit a poor third shot drop, heads up, it's coming back hard. Mm -hmm. And you could see as soon as she said that, he stopped moving forward, he held his ground, he did a split step, he's ready to defend, she stayed back. And so you can move far better as a team when you communicate as a team. And, you know, in a previous episode, Gigi Lamaster is talking about playing with Sarah Ansbury. One of the great things was she trusts her 100%. Have to have that trust that when your partner says, heads up, or yes, it's okay, that they know what they're talking about. I think also at the, at the highest level, it also depends on who's hitting the third ball. Are they hitting it down the line or are they hitting it cross court? Because then you're changing angles and where you need to be, who needs to be going up more, where you're safe and where you're not. But that's a whole other animal. We've got a comment here from Neil. You guys were talking about either moving the non-volley zone line, moving the baseline. Uh, Neil says, how about raising the net a couple of inches? How would that change the game? Well, Mark and I were talking earlier about, you know, and in previous episode, Gigi, you asked where the game was going. And I 100% know that it's going to be just like tennis and you're going to have six foot seven to, to seven footers sitting there on the line. And it's going to be a completely different game. And, and it, I think it's going to ruin the game. And at some point you're going to have to, if it progresses this far, you're going to have to either move the line back, raise the net, do something, you know, extend the baseline because it's definitely going to be like tennis. And I don't know if raising the net is going to help, but you know, something's going to have to be done because you're already seeing it with a, with a Scott Moore, with a Matthew Blom, with these guys that it's hard enough to get the ball down on them as it is, but now take a, 25 year old six foot seven kid out of college tennis and see if you can get the ball down on them see what happens so you know it's it's not going to go well we'll have to convert to those mini paddles that they had at nationals did you play with exactly. those exactly <laughs> your, your paddle is going to be based on how tall you are you need a handy <laughs> we're going to give you here you go matthew blom here's a ping pong paddle for you right <laughs> 
<laughs> when he's on, I feel like he needs one of those. Well, he's got that Brian Jensen, uh, that XL that you know buys him even a couple of extra inches. Trust me, I think everyone is well aware of that. Anyone that plays him knows that. <laughs> Knows those extra inches. We were just talking about different paddles and different equipment. I wanted to touch on the, uh, I guess, what has been the continuing uh, ball controversy. Where do you come down, Matt, on the whole issue of an indoor ball, an outdoor ball, one unified pickleball that could be used throughout the sport? I, I, I like the idea of a, a unified ball just because the game is so precise and, and the inches do matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that idea. I, I also like the concept of different ones just because tennis does it as well. But I think with tennis, it's different because, you know, what, yeah, you know, it might be a little slower, a little faster, a couple inches, this here, that, the other. But, you know, it's so physical. There's so many points. It's so long that over the course of a match, is it, you know, it, of course it's going to make a difference, but that much now, whereas we have people flying all over the country to play these 11-point games, so I feel like you need to know at least what you're getting into. Uh, and especially in a double elimination tournament where if it takes you a game to get used to the ball you're and you lose that game, you're already halfway out of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, Mark just booked a flight down to Naples and Within 15 minutes, he's he's two and done because, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's 11 points. I think, would never I, happen. That would never, never happen. happen. <laughs> I know. Sorry. That was a bad example. But I think outside of the ball, this is completely off topic. But I like the idea in some of the big tournaments going to best three out of five because I like the game. I like the 11-point feel, but I feel like too many fluky things can happen in these games. I, I would like to see some tournaments go three out of five. Interesting. We put out a newsletter about once a week, and one of our subscribers recently wrote to me and he said, hey, maybe the discussion shouldn't be so much about indoor versus outdoor ball. Uh, what he was saying was that the um, different kinds of balls should be connected to the different surfaces that you play on. You're breaking up just a little bit there, Mark, uh, but I, yeah, we got the gist of what you were saying. One thing that I have a problem with when you talk about letting the surface dictate the ball, I feel like the most important relationship out there on the court is the relationship between the surface of my paddle and the ball. I don't really want the surface of the court to dictate, well, we're going to use the jugs ball you know, because of this, and then we're going to use the Dura ball uh, because we're playing on this, because I want it to be consistent coming off my paddle rather than, because I'll always have to adjust to a court surface, and maybe it, it rained one day, and if you're playing outdoors, and, and the, the surface is a, is a little different, maybe it's a little more slick or something. So you're always going to have to make court adjustments, but I want the relationship between the paddle and the ball to be as consistent as it possibly can. You agree or disagree with that, Matt? That makes sense to me, and I like that concept, that no matter where you're going, the ball off your paddle should feel the same, you know, you're always going to fight the different surfaces of the court, you know, humidity, this, that, and the other mm-hmm. that are going to change it enough as it is. The last thing we need to do is be switching up balls and adding another dimension to it. It is interesting. I mean, even to that point, not necessarily the ball, but to the Naples point, I'm excited to see all the people from the West who have never done a Florida experience, how much humidity, and you in, in North Carolina know this, humidity plays a role, and, and people think, well, you know, a lot of people from Florida, this, that, and the other are primarily soft game players, and honestly, it's because the humidity, the ball just gets so heavy, it's just, 
it's so soft, it's so slow, it's it's hard to almost hit the ball with remotely any pace. So it's going to be interesting to see what that does to people who haven't seen it before. Yeah, that will be interesting because it's it's like one notch below playing in the rain right. <laughs> when it's so humid like that. Because the ball, if you ever you know played when it's just drizzling and you want to keep playing, you know how the ball gets in it, and you you are having to reach down lower, and you are it's heavier. It feels like you're playing with a croquet ball sometimes. It just uh, it's like a rock coming off of your paddle. Matt, if people want to uh, check out what you're up to, the best place to go is poachpb.com. PoachPB.com or the, the YouTube channel is probably what most people would want to see. And that's also PoachPB is, is the YouTube channel. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for having me. Let's do it. So what are your thoughts about what we discussed today? We'd love to hear from you. Email us anytime. Mail at PickleballShow.com. That's mail at PickleballShow.com. That's where you can find us on the internet too. PickleballShow.com. We're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash pickleball show, uh, twitter.com slash, wait for it, pickleball show. <laughs> we make it easy for you. And we'd love to hear from you anytime on any of those places. Also, head over to iTunes if you get a chance. Hit the subscribe button, which means you'll never miss an episode. Plus, if you feel it's appropriate, leave us a five-star review, which helps boost us up in the rankings, makes it a lot easier for other pickleball players to find this show. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.